Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And we got some ups and downs. Uh, upside, we have a lot of new cards to talk about. Downside, it's very cold, at least in my house. And Brian made me turn off my space heater to record this episode. I demand the highest quality recording we can give our fans. And if that means that you have to sit there and shiver throughout it, I am willing to make that sacrifice. I have two hoodies, a long sleeve shirt, big fluffy pants, big fluffy socks, a blanket over me. I'm still cold. Here's here's the question that I know is on everyone's mind. What? Weighted blanket or non-weighted blanket? I do have a weighted blanket. I feel like it so it's currently in my closet because I feel like my cats would destroy it, but also I don't know, I'm like sitting in in a a chair, right? It feels like it would be difficult to keep that thing under control. I understand what you're saying. I think a lot of it depends on the size. So I've been progressing through weighted blankets. I'm training like Goku to eventually become the most powerful sleeper mankind has ever seen. Okay. But I started with like a smaller 10-pound blanket, and now I just have a giant 20-pound blanket that crushes me to death while I sleep. And I I really would take the heaviest blanket they will offer me. Like I just want to be crushed to death while I sleep and hopefully not wake up. I think I have – it's like queen or smaller. I'm not sure. I think it's like 15 pounds. That's what okay. I have. That's, that's a good solid blanket. Good good starting training regimen for you. Yeah, and I moved and I got the cats and the cats occasionally sleep with me. Occasionally they terrorize me while I try to sleep. Yeah. And I haven't really looked into what's inside the blanket and whether or not like cats could, you know, destroy it. But Yeah, I, so mine is glass beads. Yeah, that seems bad. Yeah, so if they ripped it open and just dumped glass beads just all over your house. marbles everywhere. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of cleanup, like months of cleanup probably. Okay, so back to the good stuff. We have, at time of recording, 202 cards out of 277. A lot of cards coming at us fast and furious. Went from zero to 200. So normally, we this would be like our second show, and we'd have like a solid foundation. I mean, I guess we did some of the previews before. Is that true or just I don't think that is true. I don't I don't think we had any new cards last time we recorded, which no, is which yeah, is that, wild. That that happened with uh Innistrad like with Midnight Hunt where they Midnight gave Hunt. us some, we talked about it, but yeah, this one just dumped everything on us. Yeah, haven't touched it yet. And there's just there's just too much here now. Like we're we're buried under new cards, so we're kind of like accelerating the pace a little bit. We tried to grab some highlights this week and then we'll be back next week with the top 10 show, but it does feel like we've, we're going to be forced to gloss over some stuff, but that gives us space for like after we play a bunch to dive back into it. So I'm okay with that. I I never mind uh, a more condensed preview season, I guess. Yeah, I'm fine with it. It does make these shows kind of tough. I I did consider doing three colors now and then, Three colors is like a bonus show or, you know, two colors and then like the golden artifacts and all that stuff. But I don't know. I feel like you just show, you, you throw like three or four hours worth of content at people in in less than a week. And I I find it hard to believe that they could get through all of it. So like, well, I find it hard to believe that anyone listens to us in the first place. So that if you cross that hurdle and you're willing to show up every week, then it doesn't seem like that far-fetched that you would go to the second step and listen to us twice, but I guess people can let us know. If they are desperate for hours and hours more of Arena Deckless content, make your voice heard. Yeah, we could do more. So 
Anyway, we just went through, uh, tried to pick and choose some cards that we thought were interesting and worthy of discussion and not just like, oh, this thing is clearly good on rate and fits in curve of current good deck, right? We did a little bit of that too, but but yeah, mostly tried to avoid that. A little bit, but it's hard to avoid because the set is pretty good yep. and is fairly focused on tribal stuff. And that's just kind of what a lot of it amounts to, which is not bad. I'm not upset at all. I think the set is awesome, but it does mean that it's a little less interesting to talk about. Now, you said you think the set is awesome. If you had to give it a number, no, never mind. We'll wait. We'll do that later. We'll put you to the test later on. I mean, just like overall good set. I mean, I'm not going to like, this isn't the receivables, man. I'm not grading mechanics or anything. It's just like, does this set have playables for standard? The answer is yes. Yeah, I was just going to hold your feet to the fire and make you say a number, which I know is your most hated thing on the planet. But I don't want to grind this show to a further halt than it's already at. So I'll let you off the hook for the time being. Uh, So now I'm in a spot where you're like dangling the number thing in front of me. You know how I normally (laughs) protest where I'm like, well, define it. In this instance, I feel like uh, you can't just say that and then have me not give a number. So after working with the set for a little bit, definitely not a ton and I'm sure I'll be able to speak to this more next week. But as far as like how much I'm looking forward to this set for standard, I would say it's like a nine out of 10. Wow. You actually gave me a number. I was so sure you were going to go through all that and then still give me some non-numerical answer at the end of your explanation. But you delivered. You gave us a number. Nine out of 10. Happy well, to hear I, it. I, so me protesting about the number is always like clarifying what the number means. And right. this time... I think I was able to like very quickly narrow down what the number would mean to me. Okay. Fair enough. So there you go. Dude, as long as you're specific, you give me clear guidelines, I can give you a number, you know? But when you're just like, ah, rate this abstract thing, it's like, well, I got to qualify that first, you know? People love abstract ratings. They hate specifics. They want nonsense. Yeah. They they want you to give them nine out of 10 with no context. Right. And then just move on with your lives. I I don't know how useful that is, but. Oh, it's not. They like it. Anyway, so we have uh, 15 cards and uh, 15 new cards, I should specify, and five reprints that we want to talk about because I think it'll make for the best show. Agreed. And I'm glad we're touching a little bit on the reprints. Not something we usually do, but this is a pretty substantial set of reprints we're getting here. Yeah, there's some good ones. Uh, I I feel like Midnight Hunt was, you know, Play With Fire, Infernal Grass, stuff like that, like really setting up the format with these staples and then... Mm. These reprints kind of do a similar thing, but just with cards we've already had before. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I could see that. And dude, if sets keep doing that, I'm all about it. Yep. There's some things where like you don't need to make a new tool every time. You already have some really good tools to do a certain effect. And there's nothing wrong with dipping back into that. I'm I'm all for that if it makes a good balanced play arena. And I I think these cards will help do that. Yeah. Some of the stuff... This isn't like a a top 15 list or anything. This is most interesting stuff to talk about. And I need to qualify that because we are starting with Chandra dressed to kill. Mm. And (laughs) uh, Chandra is one RR three starting loyalty plus one add R. This deals one damage to up to one target player or planeswalker. Another plus one ability exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. Minus seven, exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. Brian. Yes. 
How are you feeling about Chandra? Pretty low now. I, I started high on this card, quite frankly, because the move from three to five, given the format we are presently playing, seemed very important to me. And I still think there's like a good argument to be made that playing ahead of curve, given uh, we're already in the first one out of the way, given the epiphany constraints that the format is going to face, makes sense. You need to do things a little bit faster. And going from three into Goldspan Dragon, that's that's good. You want to play ahead of curve. I don't like anything else about this card. That is basically the only thing it does for me. There's better ways to do that. There's more resilient ways to do that. And I'm not sure that any other mode of this card is beating anyone, especially given just how fragile this is. And there's no immediate return either. So yes, it's a three mana Planeswalker, but it doesn't really do anything until turn four. It's almost impossible for it to do anything. Like, sure, you get a play with fire. That could be really good if you have that kind of setup. Okay, and and maybe that's the right way to look at this card. Maybe it's not supposed to be the tool to get you from three to five. It's supposed to be the tool that allows you to play two spells in a turn. And one of those is a one drop. And just being out of the mono red mindset for so long, I sort of ignored that. So I'm going to give Chandra some props there in that small ball type role. Maybe it's more interesting because then it's very easy to plus one, the other plus one, exile the top card of your library, have it be a red card, be able to cast it this turn. That that works a little bit better than the I am ramping to Goldspan Dragon stuff. So points for Chandra there. But as far as like what this format has been about thus far, what I expect it to be about going forward... I don't think Chandra does a great job of lining up with any of that and is just a little bit too fragile given the abilities it brings it to the table. Rank rank Chandra out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. You don't have to. It's fine. 5.5. Five, five. Snapped it off. Hell yeah. I would rate her a little bit higher, but that's mostly with me thinking about her in the context of mono red, but without having actually played any games or like sculpting any deck lists or anything. And... I think that the conclusions you came to are correct where it's, you don't just like, you know, play this in gruel where you're just not going to have enough red cards to hit first of all. But yeah, also she, she doesn't really affect the battlefield to turn that she comes down. Obviously that's a deal breaker in a lot of instances, but in modern red where maybe you're not even playing gold spent dragon. I think that Chandra is potentially viable because we have, a decent amount of removal. Our curve is getting filled out a little bit. The creatures are less embarrassing. So it's getting more and more likely that something like Mono Red could show up. I, I don't know if this is like a main deck card or a sideboard card or whatever, but it, it does seem worth trying in that shell at least. And I was talking to you a little bit before the show about the article I wrote this weekend where I kind of went off the rails. I started with something simple, just like, oh, vampires, right? Mm-hmm. And I ended up building some really weird decks. One of the decks I ended up building was a bard class deck that I also played Chandra in and was able to get up to like 30 red cards in the deck. Interesting. Which seems pretty nice. You know, it's it's not that bad. Whether or not bard class is any good, that's uh, a, a little bit more suspect, but you know. Yeah. So, so going back to mono red, uh, I actually played a bunch of mono red at the start of last format, mostly on the back of Moonvale region. Yep. Which... I've, I think still makes sense. And you're kind of getting a second stickier effect for your mono red deck, something akin to Experimental Frenzy with the addition of Chandra Dress to Kill. So you're able to play those longer games and I think still be aggressive early. I mean, Chandra does do a little bit of damage, not much, but like when every point of damage matters, the fact that you're getting that extra one on the plus one for a mana, that, that bodes pretty well. So 
as we've had this conversation now, I've actually gotten more excited about Chandra in that context, even though I am continuing to go down in any other context besides Mono Red. But it's okay for a card to just be good in one spot. I think what this card really needs is better one drops for the Mono Red deck. And I think it is purposeful that Mono Red does not get good one drops anymore. And I say like not good. There's some okay ones. There's a one drop in this set as well. That is, again, very much okay. It's, it's fine. It's It's actually like pretty good with the Chandra as far as giving you a mana sink later on. But yeah, no, yeah, that's, it, that's true. It's a one mana, one, two menace, which you're just like, what? I, I don't understand. Yeah, it only could potentially win out because there's just not a lot of good competition for the one drop slot. So no, nah, there's, there's hall monitor. Yeah. There's, there's the jackal pup vampire. Yeah. Uh, obviously hall monitor is not great. You probably play a couple copies of the one, two. But you're telling me that like Chandra into a Coom Hellhound doesn't do it for you? No, that's not that's not doing it for me right yeah, me now. Yeah, me either, me either. But yeah. So we figure that whole conundrum out, and then I am I'm gonna go up to a six as opposed to a five point five for Chandra now that we've had this discussion. Got him. What I think it can do in mono red. Got him. I'll give I'll give her a five point five. Okay, great. No, I, I like <laughs> we, I, we I, gotta I, stop this now, <laughs> or the entire show is just gonna be about this. All right, moving on. Another red card this one is part of a mythic cycle that doesn't seem very mythic but second set in a row we're doing this i'm i'm on to you which is the coast i know what happened here and i'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat for a second hold on let me let me get that adjusted and tight somewhere along the line somebody said we want more mythics in a set it's good for arena we make more money via this and these sets were already far along in their development and they both had these rare cycles last set it was the adversaries this set it was the cemetery whatever they are and then because of this decree they got moved to mythic and that is my story and i'm sticking to it and i will now take my tinfoil hat off do we know that the amount of mythics actually increased i think so didn't it used to be 15 mythics in a set I thought so too, but that could also be five years ago. I don't, <laughs> that I don't that is true. That's possible. Uh, listen, when you have your tinfoil hat on, you don't worry about specifics. Yeah, you don't fact check. Come on. You just make some broad generalizations. You accuse people of stuff and you be as sensationalistic as possible. And uh, I believe I've achieved that. So, Cemetery Gatekeeper, 1R21, Creature Vampire. First strike, when this enters the battlefield, exile a card from a graveyard. Whenever any player plays a land or casts a spell, if it has the same type as the exiled card, this deals two damage to that player. So things that you can do against, is it Epiphany? You could exile an instant or a sorcery. Ideally, you you would be able to get both, but you can't. And their deck is like kind of split between the two, mm. but you do have this thing that like kind of punishes them just for sitting back and drawing cards, which is cool. Somehow, if you're able to exile a land, it means yeah. that you... You have a Zozu the Punisher, Ankh of Mishra type of thing, which is also very good against Is It. So I don't know. You gotta you gotta get this to do the thing that you want it to do. And then at that point, I think it's really good. But also the baseline, like Goblin Piker with first strike, I think is completely reasonable as well. Reasonable. I would love that second point of toughness. Being vulnerable to like spike field hazards is rough. And I think that card becomes more important given the context of what's coming along in this format specifically Same. for the Izzet decks. So that makes me a little wary. And the, the the land interaction is actually what I want the most. Like that's where this card would really sell me. And there's no real reliable way to set that up for yourself. There's not even like fabled passage in the format anymore. So I don't think that's going to happen all that often. 
I think this card is solid. However, like I said, I played some mono red. The two drop slot was okay. You you weren't really suffering when it came to two drops. There were some good options. So this actually does have some competition. I would usually play the adversary over this, but that depends obviously on deck context. But even if you only have a couple of spells to bring back, like getting back your play with fire was a very big deal for the early versions of mono red I was building. So I'm still leaning in that direction where that's going to be uh, the first two drop I want to look at. And then there's a bunch of other ones floating around the format as well, including some new ones in this set. So I kind of need this to have a more defined purpose and role before I'm willing to declare this the go-to for the mono red two drop slot. And it doesn't quite line up how I want it to at this moment. Maybe if there were a lot of like X2s and this was always winning in combat, I could get more into it, but uh, there's just not. So I'm not negative on this card i just don't think it's a slam dunk the go-to two drop from this point forward agree i i did write about a lot of different vampire decks this week and my plan was mostly a pile of discard and Mm -hmm. you, you get to back that up with a clock which is obviously nice but this could add another wrinkle to that potentially and you know if this deals like four or six damage over the course of a game against is it with its ability then that's certainly good. Uh, obviously, it is very fragile. I fully expect those decks to start playing like four spike field hazards, right? Yep, almost certainly. But you have plenty of targets for that also. True. So, vampire type is important. I mean, we're, we're looking at all the vampires in a different lens now because there are vampire payoffs, and that's that's a good call out. Yeah, say this were just like a shaman or something. Yep. You know, and then vampires isn't realistically looking at playing it. Uh, but in, in this instance, it's like, oh, okay, this is like something to actually consider. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, other cemetery cards, cemetery prowler, one GG, three, four creature wolf vigilance. Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks exile, a card from a graveyard spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card type. They share with cards exiled with cemetery prowler. So clearly was it Bant artifacts, I think was. The, the spiciest deck in your article this week? That's where I ended up in my article. Go take a look at that, starcitygames.com. Uh, and I think that list looks pretty good on the back of Cemetery Prowler and like an Asikus Chariot mid-range type plan with the Teferi Lithoform engine combo built into it. The truth is that I didn't really get to do what I wanted to do with Cemetery Prowler. Now, I think this card is good. I think Wolf, again, a very good type werewolf decks are solid there's good werewolf lords there's good payoffs for having a lot of werewolves in your deck and they curve up pretty high so any kind of cost reduction you get from cemetery prowler can be a very big deal and keep in mind that like your reduction gets bigger over time so you get to attack with this a few times you're getting an instant from your opponent's graveyard and then uh, because we are not psychos and understand the extent of the epiphany problem we have like negate in our deck so now you're beating down and only leaving up one mana to cast your negate that can put you in a really really advantageous spot against those type of decks so i I like that a lot i like this card just as a completely fair card but what i wanted to do with this card is get an artifact creature and get that sucker out of here and then make all of my artifact creatures cost two less And then just like do some Rites of Harmony stuff and have a bunch of free artifact creatures that are now pretty good, like two drop artifact creatures. You know, you start talking like your Phyrexian Revokers and other meaningful artifact creatures. The the problem is there are no artifact creatures in standard. They just don't exist. But 
we're headed to the Brothers' War. We know both brothers mm. are quite fond of artifacts. So maybe there is a home for Cemetery Prowler to do this type of stuff in the future. I just think this is a really powerful effect. It's one of those broken effects, right? Artifact cost reduction. We've seen it before. It can get into the realm of broken, but it's coming with such an awesome floor. Like just having a three drop with a three, four vigilance body. Vigilance, a very underrated keyword, by the way. Uh, and that's a very nice body size given the formats removal that we're seeing for the most part. I, I think it's hard for this card to really go wrong. So that's why I'm pretty high on Cemetery Prowler right now. There's the small removal, like Play with Fire, Blood Chief's Thirst, and then there's like the Abrade yep. type stuff. But there's also just... Dragon's Fire. Yeah, Dragon's Fire, Thundering Rebuke, people playing a lot of four mana or four damage spells for Goldspan Dragon mostly. So, I don't know, three mana, three, four doesn't necessarily seem like it will you know, stick around all that often. And the ability to me doesn't seem super meaningful. It's also like kind of awkward too, where it's like you cast this on turn three. Is there even going to be a card in the graveyard? Well, it depends. I, I think like it depends how you've built your deck. If you're you're trying to get a card in the graveyard purposely or if you're just aggressive. And if there isn't a card in the graveyard and you play this on turn three, are you just miles ahead of your opponent at that point? And I think that's a fair setup as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. You as get high. another chance too. You you get to I attack. Know, I know. Unlike the red one, which only gets the the ETB. Correct. Right? Yeah. So I I get that, but it's still just like I don't know. The body's kind of medium. The the type is good, of course. It's like a lot of small things that add up. Mm-hmm. But I'm still just like, yeah, I'm not super excited to like put this into any of my decks unless it's actually facilitating something good. Like an artifact combo is what uh, you're saying. Yeah. So you know, brothers war baby, let's go. We're waiting for it. Ascendance Pack Leader. Pack Leader, one word. Unlike Werewolf Pack Leader, which is two words. Anyway. Yeah, it's a very different card. It, it is a different card, that's true. G, 2-1, Creature Wolf. This enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. If you control a permanent with mana value four or greater, whenever you cast a spell with mana value four or greater, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. I built some Werewolf decks in the beginning days of yep. Midnight Hunt. And we had like Snarling Wolf, but not another playable one drop. And now we have it. So now I'm actually a little bit more excited to do like Tovalar things. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a big game changer, actually. You know, the mono green aggro deck just gave up on the one drop slot because they were so bad. They're just like, I'm done with this. I'm just going straight to two. You know what? I'm glad that people stopped playing Jasper Sentinel, though. Yeah. I I think it's correct. I think that's the best version of that deck. But now. We have a green one drop that is pretty boring. I mean, I don't think there's much I can say about what this card does. It's obvious on its face, but I think you're going to have this just be a 4-3, almost always a 3-2 as the game goes on and getting that kind of return from your one mana investment. And the fact that when you pull it off the top of the deck, you could still get a one mana 3-2, right. assuming you're in the late game. I, I really like that adjustment for this card, but if it was just a 2-1 wolf, we'd probably be interested in it. So this is just all upside to me and a, a big get, especially for Werewolf Tribal. Yeah, it was what, what was the Scoot card or Swarm Shambler? Swarm that, Shambler, yes. That was, that was the one drop they sometimes played when yeah. your curve was like still pretty high, so you didn't really have the mana to invest in it. And this is just, it's just there. It's just there. It starts pretty big. It attacks well. It's a good type, and it grows without you having to put mana into it. 
So yeah, no investment required, and you could end up with a lot for a one mana creature. Yeah, reminds I mean, me of like Stonebind Familiar in that way, where you're just doing the things you want to do anyway, and at some sometimes you get a tremendous payoff for playing this creature. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is not going to scale as well, but like Champion of the Parish type of thing, it's it's like a one drop that actually does benefit from you just like doing your thing and. Yep. It's not as like ludicrous as champion, but I think that this is kind of like the right power level for something yeah, like this. So. I would agree with that. All right. Volatile Arsonist. Three RR four four creature human werewolf. Menace haste. Whenever this attacks, it deals one damage to each of up to one target creature, up to one target player, and or up to one target planeswalker. Has daybound. Backside is a five-five. With the same stuff, except it deals two damage to all those things. So, five mana. You, you know what you're competing wait, with here. Wait, ask me to rate it. Rate it. Like, with Goldspan Dragon in the format, I'll give it like a two out of ten. You've added a lot of context, which is not how the ratings work. But... That is how it works. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> and, and I gave you the context right away. I didn't go on some long diatribe, you know. Anyway, whatever. This is a podcast. It's built for long diatribes. That's what we're here for. And I'm going to go on one right now. We're 25 I, minutes in and we talked about two cards. <laughs> I don't know, man. Gotta I, go fast. Yeah, Sonic time. Okay. This card is not as good as Gold, Goldspan Dragon. I'm not going to try and argue it's anywhere near wow. the quality of that card. So Incredible information being Going to be closed off from a lot of decks. But when the Werewolf Tribe matters, I think this is an awesome, awesome payoff for those decks. It's a way to stay hard tribal and... This being difficult to block and hasty is a really, really good thing for those decks to have. There's just also the fact that you're going to play at night a lot in the werewolf decks. Like you are set up to get to that spot. And now we are talking like Tovalar decks, which I think is correct given the tools that we've gotten. This gets ramped into the uh, the Cemetery Prowler. So there's a lot going for this card occupying the five drop spot in the werewolf deck because of all these synergies. And I think you're going to see the payoff when you have a flipped version of this coming into play, that payoff is going to be really big. You're going to kill a creature. You're going to make it even harder to get a block on this menace creature because you're taking care of these small bodies. You're going to do damage right off the bat. Yeah. Dealing a lot of damage for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of what the werewolf decks were missing in some ways. Like they had some of that burst ability with Arlen, but Arlen was so contextual. So medium and so much worse than Chariot. Yeah, all these things are true. And I, I think this just like does one job, but it does a job that the werewolf deck needed. It does it very well. And I expect this to see some play in that archetype. That's it. Okay. Falcon Wrath Forebear. 2B, 3-1, creature vampire flying. This can't block. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, create a blood token. B, sacrifice two blood tokens, return this from your graveyard to the battlefield. And blood is one tap or one sack, discard a card, draw a card? Yes. Is is it, correct. Do you have to tap it? Does it matter? I don't think so, and it shouldn't matter. Three mana, three one flying, can't block. No. no. It creates blood for you, mm. and it's only two tokens to sack to return. Like this, This is like very above rate for things like this. I think it is. I think it's going to be fairly easy to keep this 
on the battlefield when you want it on the battlefield. I think the payoff of just a blood token in an aggro deck is going to be far more than you expect. And I also think if we find some way to just take advantage of having a bunch of artifacts around, that's when these things get really silly, right? We saw it with food. We've just seen it with this make a thing type entity that if you are able to leverage artifact synergies, it gets very, very out of control very quickly. So I'm keeping a close eye on any kind of payoff for having a bunch of artifacts, any kind of you know triggers that come into play off of artifacts, all that stuff you need to watch out for. And then maybe it becomes not so much about vampires, it becomes about those type of synergies. Again, got the Brothers War coming, so you have to think there's artifact stuff happening there. I'm going to keep a close eye out for that. But even just like as a vampire card that attacks and does damage, I, I do like this card. It makes me angry that it's not called Falconrath Forbearer. I don't know if there's anything wrong with calling it Falconrath Forbearer, but I want it to be Falconrath Forbearer. I, I don't know what the difference is. I don't either, but I'm just telling you what my soul wants, and it wants a Forbearer. I will say that in the process of writing my article, every time I went to type Olivia Crimson Bride, for whatever reason, I just always typed a bridge. That's, a, that's an odd mistake. Well, it's just, it, I don't know, maybe I type in Snaring Bridge way too often or whatever, but it's just like my brain would auto-complete that. And I would not be surprised if I auto-completed this to Forebearer as well. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going to do for sure. Other card that plays well with this is Voldaren Bloodcaster, which is 1B21 Creature Vampire Wizard, has also has flying. Uh, whenever this or another non-token creature you control dies, create a blood token. Whenever you create a blood token, if you control five or more blood tokens, you transform this. And the backside is a 3-3 flyer with, at the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target blood token you control becomes a 2-2 black bat creature with flying and haste in addition to its other types. Very interesting card there. I mean, you wrote the vampire article. You've been exploring this archetype. Do you think it is blood focused or is it just like a good aggressive deck what do you see as the way forward for the vampire tribe the thing that i think is best and there are definitely a lot of ways to go about building the deck but the way i think is best is trying to focus on aggression and then you have some blood synergies but you're not leaning into it super hard and you just mm-hmm. have uh bloodcaster forebearer angie An- anja anya i don't know how to pronounce her name the the four drop red black four five yeah, I'm not doing any pronouncing. So and the the land, too, is decent. Yeah. And you just, like, create some blood tokens over the course of the game. You don't lean super hard into it. And then if you get to transform this thing, it's awesome. But you really don't have to work that hard. I, I want to talk about the land real quick, because just because people may not be familiar with it quite yet. It's called Voldaren Estate. It is a land, tap for colorless, tap, pay one life, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a vampire spell. Five tap, create a blood token. This ability ability costs one less to activate for each vampire you control. It doesn't seem like it's doing that much. Like five is very expensive for a blood token. You don't expect like the reduction to be that good. It's fine. But like if you have a bunch of vampires in play, you should be in a pretty good state anyway. But I just think the land is a good mana fixer for these decks. You're pretty happily playing it in that context anyway. And getting that little bit of blood can matter a lot. As we can see, like the difference between returning your 3-1 flyer and not returning your 3-1 flyer can be game ending. 
And any kind of extra value you get from your lands is always, always, always worth keeping track of. So I, I do like the vampire land quite a bit. I think it's pretty easy to get it down to like, you know, two, one mana, and then you get to do that while doing other stuff, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Like if, if it didn't have the the cost reduction for making the blood, I would not be as interested in it. And there are certainly some aspects too, where you're playing like a braid in your deck and you're playing the land and it actually just kind of like messes up your mana rather than fixing it. Mm. I, I finished the article last night and then this morning Edgar Markov got spoiled, which is a white black card. So it's like, I kind of get why that land is there. Like now you could just play Mardu vampires if you wanted to. Yeah, little reason to stretch into white with the printing of Edgar. Yeah, but for the most part, I was just playing like one or two copies depending on what the rest of my deck wanted. So I was I was not super high on it. You also have the creature lands too. Yeah. So you, you have a bunch of stuff to do with your mana, but having that to get you over the hump for transforming Bloodcaster or, you know, you have all blood lying around and a forebear and your opponent's at three or whatever. It's like all that stuff is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of value here and there can add up. Uh, but then there's also the other aspect where you could just put these in a dedicated sacrifice deck and try and use the blood tokens for something there. Mm-hmm. I think all of it is worth exploring, and uh, I, I look forward to doing so. There are some some good payoffs for sacrifice decks in this in this set, for sure. Yeah, these so far, these are my two favorite cards in the set, by far. N- nice, nice. Inspired idea. To you, sorcery. How do I even read this, man? I, I didn't think about this before I did it. How the hell do I read a cleave card? I, uh, here's how I would do it. Okay. I would I would say, let me take over. All Inspired right. idea. Two colorless, one blue, sorcery. Cleave, three colorless, two blue. Draw three cards. Start bracket. Your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. Close bracket. Like, that sucks. But this mechanic sucks. So you're just doing the best you can with a fiddly, stupid thing that could have just been a split card. Can you tell how much I really love the cleave mechanic? Is it shining through in my embrace of this? This is like a mechanic for lawyers. And as a lawyer, man, do I hate anything made for lawyers. It's just stupid and needless. And uh, just make another split card. I Make a kicker card. I don't care. I mean, like... There's other ways to do this, and this does not work for my brain. Maybe some people really love it. Maybe it, it flows nicely for them, and they are able to parse it very quickly. I am not one of those people. Obviously, a lot of this stuff is likely biased in one way or another, but I will say the majority of Twitter polls I've seen, people like this mechanic more than dislike it. Okay. Then then go ahead. That's fine. I, don't, I understand that every mechanic doesn't have to be for me, but this does... This scrambles my brain every time I look at a cleave card, and I, I don't like it. I would rather just look at a split card. All right, whatever. It's uh, five mana to draw three cards, or yeah. you can pay three mana to draw three cards and have your maximum hand size reduced by three for the rest of the game. So, like, ideally, you're casting this for three mana, right? So then yes. how how are Once. you able... Once, I think. Maybe, maybe twice, maybe. Yeah, I mean, once you cast it twice... Casting the third one is almost free, right? You just have to use all the cards that turn. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, we're in a pretty late game scenario now. I, so here's the thing. I see this shining in Delver type decks. I think it could be really strong there and potentially like the thing that Delver was missing. You 
a bunch of fading hopes early, a bunch of cheap creatures coming down on turn one, of which there are a, a couple new options to consider. So you can you can do that and refuel very quickly, close the game out, turn six, turn seven, and wrap it up, move on to the next one. You've got a little bit of disruption, just enough to keep your opponent on the back foot. That all works really well with inspired idea. And it also like it's a key spot where it's safe to take your shield down. On on turn three, you don't really mind exposing yourself a little bit. If you spent your early turns going like one drop, second one drop, bounce spell, and now you're pretty light on cards anyway, you don't really care about the reduced maximum hand size. So all of this works in a nice little package. And I think that once you've gotten the boost from casting the first inspired idea, your second one, you should be pretty safe just going with a cleave cost, paying five for it. Yeah, or, or you have like six mana and you just cast it and play the stuff that you draw. Right. I've, either one of those two things is acceptable, but only the first one is where like that drawback should really come into play. And that makes this card really strong, like way above rate from, for what we expect if you're able to play where you don't get punished by the downside. Now, granted, that's going to be a very specific tool for very specific decks, but those decks can exist. And this might be the thing that pushes them into the playable tier. I'm not going to say top tier, but playable tier for sure. This is good also if you're just trying to go off in one turn. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a card that you could also like play one of in uh, Phoenix and Historic or something if you wanted like a a big refuel because you're playing at a low hand size a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. Uh, You could use this. You might not, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you might not even mind in some scenarios reducing your hand size because you get to pitch your Phoenixes. That was going to be the next thing I was going to say. Okay. Sorry, I should have let you go. That's okay. I was I was gonna get there, man. You know, saving saving the weirdest. For <laughs> I got last, I got really excited. I got really excited. Yeah. So I don't know. The card has its uses. Uh, I I look at this like if there is a matchup that is kind of attrition based and you need like a painful truths type of thing mm-hmm. to kind of push you over in like a stalled mid game, then I I like sideboarding like one or two of these type of cards just because like the quick burst of cards is usually going to put you pretty far ahead and. Obviously, if you're uh, just playing draw go sitting on seven cards, you don't want to cast this thing, but right. it's it's not for those decks. And I I like that. I, I want the like smaller decks to have some source of card advantage, and I think that this is a perfect fit for those decks. Now, like, do they exist? Are they good? Are they going to be playable? Like, I, I don't know, but you have a tool for them. It's a shame I had to start off discussion of this card so angry because I like it. I, I like its existence. I'm happy it's here. I just wish it wasn't a cleave card. But Yeah, uh, we should have talked about a worse cleave card first. Maybe, maybe. Uh, inspired Idea. I don't want you to get the wrong impression about my feelings about Inspired Idea. I am happy this card is around. Also, uh, in, in terms of like me me kind of going off the deep end with my article this week, uh, <laughs> one of my decks, I was like, I'll play a copy of Dig Up in, in like a Jun midrange deck. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into two copies. And then my deck list was all one ofs. Interesting. It wasn't so, it wasn't all one ofs. And I also think like the card stinks, but I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna do this. Yeah, I told you I like Dig Up and you almost fist fought me in a hotel this weekend. But I, I should probably read Dig Up just so people know. Dig Up is uh one yeah, green. Yeah, feel free to read these cleave cards, Mr. Lawyer. Have fun. <laughs> Dig up is one green, cleave, one colorless, black, black, green. Uh let, let me say that again, actually. Dig up is G. Just G. Yep. Cleave, one colorless, black, black, G. Search your library. For a start bracket basic land close bracket card. Start bracket, <laughs> reveal it, close bracket. 
put it into your hand, then shuffle. So one mana lay of the land, four mana demonic demonic tutor. Yeah, is what we're looking at. And I, I think this card is okay, not overwhelming. Lay of the land can be good in some spots. I don't know that the standard demands lay of the land, but I understand how it enticed you and got you to put a few copies into your deck. Well, I was like, oh, uh, you know, I'm playing some some Florahedrons and some Shatter Skull Smashings. Like, I'm going to have a bunch of mana sources, but, like, mm-hmm. maybe I should cut one of those mana sources for a dig up. And then I was like, well, I'll play, like, a Meat Hook Massacre and a Light Up the Night. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I should probably have a second copy of Dig Up. You know? <laughs> this all sounds exactly what this card is supposed to make you do. And I'm not sure that's that bad. Like... I, I don't know. I don't know why you hate Lay of the Land so much. It has proven itself to be very useful when it's got upside attached to it. And, you know, we lived through a tune with Ether being banned and Traverse the Ulvenwald being an important card. And those cards have better upside. I'm not trying to say this is on the same pace, but you see what happens when Lay of the Land gets a little bit of a boost. A tune was like, get a land, fix your mana, which you actually needed. And we don't yes. actually need that now. Yes. And it was like, you know, make your cub unkillable or almost make another 1-1 one, one with your Whirler Virtuoso. Like, it did stuff. Immediately. This is, this is still just lay of the land. And yeah. now, now, Traverse didn't always do something immediately, and you did spend it that way. It's just it, the late was, game payoff was It was, was really bigger. bad when you did that, but, like, sure. in, in the late game, you were, like, one mana for my Emrakul or whatever. And yes, like that, that, that was okay. That was incredible. This is four mana to get a thing that is probably not going to catch you up for the four mana that you spent. So Probably true. Uh, also, just like all the cards are fine. It wasn't like, oh, I want this one bullet. Uh, the, the one thing that I was lamenting is like not having a Necromentia or whatever that I could play main deck mm. to get with this thing. Yeah, yeah. That would be nice. Because how many standard formats in a row did we have where there was a cranial extraction? So right? many. And now we need one and we can't have it. Yeah. So it's I, I kind of silly. I kind of expect one to like slip in here at the end. I hope so. I hope so. That would be uh I feel like they, a they starting point. For, I feel like they should have just led with it. They're just like, all right, you have four mana garbage necromentia or whatever. Everyone would be like, Great, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Anyway, dig up stinks. I'm pretty sure it stinks. I don't know if there's like a Titan's Nest kind of combo deck, you know, like that, that sort of thing would be cool. I could see playing copies of this card and something like that, but I don't think we have that right now. No, nothing, nothing springs to mind. They've been much more careful about those type of cards for sure. Next up, Overcharged Amalgam, 2UU, 3-3, Creature, Zombie Horror, Flash, Flying, Exploit. Uh, Exploit is when this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. When this exploits a creature, counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. So you can sacrifice itself. Uh, Otherwise, if you have like a decayed zombie lying around, this is just a very good mystic snake or frilled mystic. And if they don't want to walk into your very obvious counter spell, you have a 3-3 flash flying. They get to start beating them down, which is way better than like end of turn frilled mystic. Although that happens sometimes too. Yeah, and... We saw what that card did to the format. In- incredibly important. Still seems like spot play and historic from time to time. I think sleeping on overcharged amalgam would be a mistake. Certainly a little bit more restrictive, but the exploit cost is not as bad as it seems that you mentioned the decay tokens, which are very nice fodder, but there's also like very willing sacrificial bodies, things like eye twitch, plenty of things we can look to that are happy to hit the graveyard. And I, I think the exploit cards in general are pretty powerful this go around and I'm, I'm finding decent payoffs. The fact that this is doing 
what I will term sort of fairish stuff. The exploit stuff is all very fair, but now you're doing it with some counterspell backup. That's really exciting, given the context of the format, because you can't you can't not play blue cards right now. I'm sorry, this is a nonsense format. Anyone who thinks you can get by without blue cards, sort of lying to themselves. I mean, you can, you, but you just played mono white in a tournament. I know. How did I do, Jerry? What place did I finish? I mean, not great, but you said you said you you didn't play great, so that is true. Uh, I had not touched a magic card in a very long time. And also, I may not actually be all that good at magic anymore. But still, it was not a good choice. I wish I played Epiphany or some blue cards. And like, yes, you can get away with those things because those streamlined aggro decks are so linear. They have such good clock potential that you can occasionally race. But like, you're just sitting down to flip a coin at that point, And it's a miserable feeling. And I, going forward, I'm, I'm planning on interacting with epiphany decks not just saying okay i'm going to erase you because i think that's a failed proposition even given new tools i still think it just demands more respect than that yeah i like this card i think that it allows you to build a bunch of different decks around it and even if it's just like well now my zombies deck has a little bit more of a reason to play a blue component um i'm kind of down with that too i think that that sounds pretty fun to me and yeah Yeah. you're, you're right the exploit cards I, I like a lot. I think that they're all like pretty juiced. Like the effects are good. The bodies are good. And I'm looking forward to, to building around those too, especially since we have like Shambling Gas and Eye Twitch and all yep. these things that are good to sacrifice. Jadar's yeah, really, good too. really nice payoffs. And, and pay, both payoffs and just like the engine cards are both really good. And they are, with the printing of Overcharge and Malcolm, they're lining up with what the format's about. And that's the most important thing, because they were good before. iTwitch stuff was good. Jadar stuff was good. It was all good. You just couldn't play a mono black deck or you'd get clowned by Epiphany. So. Right. Alright, I'm going to take a chance on this next one. I'm going to read Alchemist Gambit 1RR Cleave 4UUR Take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, damage can't be prevented. Starts bracket at the beginning of that turns end step. You lose the game End bracket exile this. So three mana final fortune or seven mana time walk with a small amount of upside. I just why like stop. I'm okay. So I'm down for a final fortune in for, for red decks or vampires stop. or whatever, but yeah, why do you keep making time walks? It's, it's got to stop. It has to stop. We can't, we can't keep doing this. Nobody saw Alchemist Gambit and was like, yes, yes, a time walk. I'm so excited to have this present in the format. It's just, I don't know. I don't know why we want this. Final Fortune is a tension-filled gameplay component that abstractly I like, but I'm not sure the game loses a lot from its absence and the fact that it can just be a time walk. Forget about it. I want nothing to do with this in standard anymore. So... I wish this didn't exist. I don't know how much it matters while Aloran's Epiphany is around. The only way it probably matters is, is if you want eight time walks. Like that's the deck that I was thinking a fifth, but even then it's just like it, it doesn't really matter. Like copying Epiphany is good because it also gives you the clock. But if you're just like copying this thing, you're not doing much. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's kind of got to be the last one in your chain, which uh, I don't know. Like there's there's a tool we're going to talk about in a little bit, which really, really ensures you get deep into your deck and also adds a little bit of clock. So uh, you could start selling me on this just being like uh, fair. Eight's probably far, but like five and six. Yeah, OK. I, I can Maybe see there's a setup for that. So we'll talk more about that when we get to that card. But uh, 
yeah, I just wish this didn't exist. That's what it comes down to. Mind Leech Ghoul. Uh, we, we bounced around a little bit. We're back on exploit. This is 1B, 2-2. Creature zombie exploit. When this exploits a creature, each opponent exiles a card from their hand. We talked about how there is a lot of good setup for this stuff already. Both Overcharged Amalgam and this card are zombies, which is nice. And the Black Deck's plan against Epiphany before was a bunch of dresses and go blanks, which is it's solid. But like this adds to that. It makes it so instead of needing to draw like the second go blank to actually put them down to zero or whatever, you have a bunch of different ways to actually make that happen. So this is kind of giving you like a critical mass of disruption while also being a clock. And this is a card that you can main deck that is not bad against everyone, you know? No notes. I think you summed up this card perfectly. I'm excited to build zombies decks that look to do this exploit stuff and maybe branch out into blue. Adding to that, we have Felsinger, 2B, 3-2, creature, zombie, scorpion, death touch, exploit. When this exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life. So reasonable body, curving, like eye twitch or shambling gas into the ghoul, into the Felsinger is pretty nice. Felstinger also just like blocks pretty well. Normally you'd see this on like one, three, no death touch or whatever. Yep. And you're like, well, I'm spinning my wheels, but not really accomplishing much. But like this actually just blocks a green creature just fine as three powers. So it attacks. Okay. And there are plenty of ways to like recur this thing. These exploit chains make things like Agadim's awakening look really powerful too. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah, overall, I just like this stuff because the cards are good on their own. You also, like, don't have to exploit stuff, you know? You can just, like, play these on on curve if that's what you need to be doing. So just super versatile, good effects. There are things that these decks want. Yeah, we both already like J- Jadar a lot, and this is only upping its stock. I, I just want to build these decks. I, I think they're interesting. I am concerned about them keeping pace with the aggro decks mono black mono white is actually the bigger concern than like how are you going to position for the epiphany matchup not to say i think they're like favored there but i understand what to do going forward like how i can best challenge that i'm less clear on how this deck best challenges things that are just hyper aggressive that could be a problem for these type of setups but felstinger is good at taking out like a big green body and you're doing it plus cards minus life, which is a mixed bag against mono green. Honestly, like you're pretty okay trading off life totals in a lot of spot if you're getting actual cards and utility. So yeah. it'll be interesting to figure out. That's true. Uh, it also does the sign and blood thing where if your opponent's at two, you can kill them. So oh, good point. Yeah, you know, there's that too. But yeah. I, I definitely agree that you know you play like a two two sacrifice some of your board state. You play a three two. You sacrifice some of your board state. You're you're ahead on cards, behind on board, but I think what you're trying to do in those matchups are mostly just throw out some speed bumps and then play Blood on the Snow or yep. Meat Hook Massacre and just like, yep. stabilize that way. But you can always load up your deck with more spot removal, you know? So I'm, I'm not too concerned with that. It's like if, if the creature decks are pretty popular, maybe this is not the best thing to be doing, but you could adjust your deck around that also. Of course, of course, and especially post-sideboard. So Right. On to, oh, actually, I guess I should mention that, like, with all these things being zombies, Crippling Fear is really good. Okay, good call out. And I've, I've had that in some of my main decks. But anyway, on to the gold cards. Uh, Dorothea, Vengeful Victim, U-Dub, 4-4, Legendary Creature Spirit, Flying. When this attacks or blocks, sacrifice it at end of combat. So two mana, 4-4 four, four Flyer, Sack, uh, whenever it gets in combat. Disturb, 
one UW, and it comes back as an aura. And enchanted creature has whenever this creature attacks, create a four four white spirit creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking. Sacrifice that token at end of combat. If this would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile instead. So you get like a geist angel that becomes like a Saint Traft aura. This is cool. I I like this card. I am concerned about it in a world where like the unsummon effects are kind of the best removal you can be playing. Fading Hope, very important card. So investing Dorothea's retribution in that scenario is dicey. We don't have things like um, Invisible Stalker around these days, thankfully. So that's, that setup's not going to be as easy. But this is a lot of damage pumped out of one card very quickly. And in terms of like the decks that are just getting on the battlefield very early and then looking to like draw three, reduce their hand size, this fits into that plan very well. I think they probably need a little bit more on the the body side of things. Some something that just holds this very well is what you're looking for. And I don't think like Delver really does it. This also doesn't play well with Delver in terms of card types. So there's some tension there, but a lot of damage output from a two drop into a three drop. So you're eating up two cards. I, I don't know. I'm kind of medium on this, but I, I see the the ceiling of it being very, very high. I basically look at it like if you need damage output then this is one of the best cards in the format to be doing that. And the front side is not that bad. Like if you get to trade it against aggro, that's good. Yes. And and then you have like the backside to win a race, you know, in turn five, turn six or something. Mm -hmm. And then against something like epiphany, it doesn't seem all that great because you, you play it and then you can deal them four, but then you like need a creature to actually put the aura on. But it, it, Think of like Mori's Azorius deck. I yeah. feel I feel like that deck needed a little bit of a clock. And yeah, and, good point. And maybe this could do it. But yeah, you need you need some better protection, right? Like there's concerted defense, which is okay. There's the new uh spirit mana leak, which maybe if you're like full on spirits, that becomes good enough. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's no like God's willing type of thing, unfortunately. Let me let me try and talk myself into this card a little bit. So I think if I'm going to like this, then I just need the front side to be good and the back side to be situationally good. Yes. And when you present the front side as like a removal spell against aggro, you play it on two and block, or even if you eat a blizzard brawl, that's not the worst possible outcome that could happen. That sounds really good to me. The alternative of it being Boros Charm against the Epiphany decks, if it's backed up by enough, I actually don't think that's that bad, especially if it's second Boros Charm from your graveyard later in the game. Right. So uh, I'm starting to talk myself into this card a bit more. I think it's very situational, but if you find that situation, maybe you're right that this is just like some of the best damage output you could get from one card. Yeah, it's just weird finding a way to sequence it so that you're not just wasting your mana on turn two. Yes. That's that's the weirdest part for me, but maybe that's okay. Maybe. Maybe. This is one I'm going to have to play with. Wandering Mind, 1UR, 2-1, Creature Horror, Flying. When this enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Six is a lot of cards. So deep. That's, that's so, so generous on this card. And... Almost impossible to whiff, I think, at six cards if you're building your deck with this in mind. And 
in those scenarios where you just got to get a little bit more battlefield presence, get a little deeper, find your three mana time walk and win the game. Wandering Mind is a evasive body to help compound your clock. So this is what I was talking about in conjunction with a, a deck that maybe just wants its sixth time walk. Maybe it's a Wandering Mind deck, and that's how you are just always, 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 always going off on that combo turn. It's hard to get like defensive value from this card, I think. I, I don't know that it's going to find a lot of successful blocks, which is what would really take it to the next level, in my opinion. You go grab a removal spell, kill a creature with it. That's that's awesome, an awesome exchange. And if you can find that, then I'm all about Wandering Mind just being like a hard main deck inclusion in Epiphany decks going forward. That's going to depend a lot on format context. But if that does come to fruition, this card seems certainly constructed power level to me. It's weird. This is like aggro Augur Bolas. Yeah. Which yeah, is, it leans in a different direction. Which is not necessarily what you want your Augur to do. I mean, there, there are decks, I guess, that could be slanted that way. But, yeah, it's weird. It's like the the rate on it is pretty good. You just have to find a home for it. Yeah, and obviously you think about blink effects. I don't know that we have a ton we can get paid on right now. There's things like... Uh, the circle? What's the circle called? I don't know. I don't stupid, know what you're talking about. Stupid, stupid blinking circle. The enchantment. Three colorless, white, blink something. I don't know. That's okay. that's not Tele- where, Teleportation circle. That's not where my brain goes when I'm like trying to build magic decks. Oh, mine does. It's a horrible curse. You're very lucky you don't have that affliction. But uh, you can find your teleportation circle with this. You get some value. You're blinking this, finding whatever counter magic you need. It, it's interesting. And I will probably build that deck, lose a little bit, and be done with it but I am hopelessly addicted to that kind of value. So, All right, last of the new cards, Dollhouse of Horrors, five generic mana artifact. Pay one and tap it, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a token that's a copy of the exiled card, except it's a zero, zero construct artifact in addition to its other types. And it has, this creature gets plus one, plus one for each construct you control. It gains haste until end of turn, activate only as a sorcery. So you're like, I mean, obviously, when the Brothers War rolls around, right, this card will be busted, but... Constructs everywhere. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to reanimate as a 1-1? It's, I don't know, it's like kind of similar to the teleportation circle thing, where it's like now you have to go looking for a weird set of cards, but the card that I have liked trying to reanimate, which I, I don't... I think the card is good, but I don't think the plan is good in this format, is Cultivator Colossus, which is... Mm-hmm. Four GGG, seven mana total, star star, creature, plant, beast, as trample, uh, as power and toughness are each equal to the amount of lands you control, and when this enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped if you do draw a card, repeat this process, and that seems like a powerful thing to reanimate. I was like bringing this back with Olivia, uh, or at least trying to, probably wasn't going to work out, but I, I think that if you can set it up so that you get to put this into play when you already have a couple lands in your hand, then you get to kind of like go off, which is yep. nice. Yep. So I don't know, man. No, that, that sounds good. This is what we're looking for. Some kind of immediate value that isn't really based on the size of the body. It's just, what does this thing do? And obviously that requires a gatherer search for all of our biggest creatures. There's, there's something out there that's there's like an alarm going off in my head about some large black creature that's in the format that maybe can do something. There's Rune Scar Demon. There's the demon yeah. that you get to copy it. There's yeah, 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 yeah. Tovalar's Huntmaster. Get some get some tokens. Yeah. 
Okay. I think those are all very good options. Now, this card's expensive. However, it does its thing repeatedly. So if you've got a juice graveyard, you can just go ahead and run stuff out. Uh, it can do its thing immediately. If you're on six mana, you just go ahead and dollhouse right away. So that bodes very well. I think it's mostly for this card about the setup. How good is our setup stuff? How easy is it to juice our graveyard? Do we have, you know, obviously not Faithless Looting, but something akin to Faithless Looting. A card that comes to mind is Unexpected Windfall. That's going to get us to six mana, and it's going to go ahead and put our best threats into the graveyard. I had some Windfalls in my deck. Faithful Mending yeah. is a card. Okay. And, I mean, it's weird colors, right? Yeah, we're stretching colors now. I'd also point that there's, like, some redundancy with this effect in Olivia Crimson Bride, which is four colorless, black, red, legendary creature, vampire, noble, flying haste. Whenever Olivia Crimson Bride attacks, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains when you don't control a legendary vampire, exile this creature. Crimson Bridge, please. Uh, Crimson Bridge, sorry, my mistake. Yeah, so, you know, we're getting some overflow. That does fit into the unexpected windfall colors. If the black options are good, that does the thing. So uh, these pieces are starting to come together. What do we have for graveyard hate in the format right now? (laughs) Cemetery Prowler? I don't know, like all the cemetery cards. Yeah, uh, that's, it, that's it. Nothing, no like slam dunk. We don't have soul guide lanterns or I think there's weathered runestone still present. Turn, so. turn the earth. Uh, I don't turn know. The like earth, there's, yeah. there's some stuff, but it just hasn't been necessary. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about like, oh, the pieces are there, whatever. But I still don't necessarily think it's going to come together and make it so people have to play Graveyard Hate because, you know, how are you going to? beat these very powerful acro decks and the epiphany deck when your plan doesn't really it's line up against anyone correct it's a lot and it would have to be a creature that you're reanimating that closes off the window for both those decks so those things i mean like you you're looking for a sarah's emissary basically where you can ko a bunch of different strategies at once i don't think you're going to find that in standard but if we do i will keep track of this card i think this is a really powerful effect that is worth making note of yeah as far as enablers, Cathartic Pyre was another one that I had. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. The Celestis is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, a little ramp built in as well, sure. And as far as the reprints are concerned, we have Mulch, which is 1G yeah. sorcery. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So this sets up Cultivator Colossus pretty well, as does Ren and Seven. And my deck was like Ren and Seven, Olivia. Colossus. Cool. So you get to go like Ren, Mulch, Untap, Mulch again, Olivia. Maybe you milled over the Colossus or you deposited there some other way or whatever. And then you, you know, draw 10 cards and put 10 lands into play. And then your opponent. And then then lose to Epiphany. Your your, your opponent untaps and kills you. (laughs) Yep. Or or just like unsummons your Olivia and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? But Sure. Yeah, I know those feelings well. I, I do love Mulch as a card, though. It's a card I've played a lot in Standard. It is extremely extremely powerful if you ever get two lands off of it you feel miles ahead and mostly you're there just to put stuff in the graveyard so if your graveyard payoffs are good enough that's great there's flashback in this format there's disturb in this format there's all kinds of stuff none of which lines up well against epiphany nonsense but uh here's hoping that we won't live under those constraints forever it's also kind of awkward because mulch doesn't work with like shatter skull smashing and does not a a lot of the things that are otherwise occupying some of your land slots. So mm-hmm. 
there's that too. If you're if you're playing mulch, it probably means you don't get to play any DFCs, which is feel bad. Yeah, some constraints on the card for sure, but a good historic pedigree and uh, one that I hope can find some purchase in this new standard. Yeah, it's a good enabler, and we didn't have a lot of good self mill stuff, so right. I, I like that this is here. All right. Uh, another awesome reprint is Syncopate. XU, this one's big. XU instant counter target spell unless it's controller pays X. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead. I hate Jwari Disruption so much. I think it's a pretty bad magic card in that you keep up this force spike and then once it's dead, it's just a land, which, you know, by the time Jwari Disruption is dead, you probably don't need the land. Mm-hmm. And Syncopate at least scales a little bit better than that. And there are decks like, is it dragons where you're like, well, I'll play a disdainful stroke and a negate and a sod coming. And it's like, no, now you just get to play syncopates. That's fine. Yeah. You catch absolutely everything. And this is also such a good card for these decks. Like say something like team or werewolves where you're trying to get blue into your deck because you know, you have to interact with these specific cards, but you just end up with these awful looking negates and a lot of spots against like mono white and syncopate just goes so much broader than that. And because they are so mana constrained on those big turns, I, I think syncopate can make a difference. I, I think it is a card that will do a little bit to alter the context of the format, but it does so in a way that is predictable in that it's a, it's a blue card and that's what it's going to take to continue to interact with the format. So it's, it's a step forward and a step back, I would say. I'm glad it's around. It's certainly impactful, but it's just kind of reinforcing the idea that this is how you interact with the format at large. And now you get to do so kind of at a lesser cost. Is that enough for format churn? I don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is enough to actually you know disincentivize playing these epiphany strategies. Well, one thing that is almost certainly going to happen as a result of this set, and maybe less so about the specifics, of the cards that are here, but just the fact that we have more cards and better options along the curve and everything is like curves will probably just get lowered in general. Like we have, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, more one drops. We have a lot of ways to encourage people playing like tribal aggro strategies and things like that. Yep. And the lower the mana curves get the worse syncopate gets. But I still think that no matter what, like people are going to be going up to Chariot. They're still going to be playing Goldspan Dragon. Like this card is still going to be very, very live. Too powerful not to. Right. It's just, they're not getting away from those cards. Yeah. So I I think that like there have definitely been formats where Syncopate is legal, but it's just like, well, they can play around it very easily because they just play like their two mana card on on turn three or something. But I, I really don't think that we have the option to blank those cards. And like how many Asika's Chariots has Droid Disruption countered, even though you know that their deck has three or four copies, right? Like you just can't afford to play around it. Yep. So so, Syncopate is going to be good, but it's going to get worse over time. Yeah, that tracks. Third reprints. Thalia, Guardian Thraben, one dub, two one. Legendary Creature Human Soldier, first strike. Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. I think that everyone's like, oh, okay, Epiphany's dead because we have a hate card. And it's like, well, this this card is good against them. And I do think it certainly helps things along, but it doesn't it doesn't beat Epiphany on its own. You know, it's it's the combination of like this plus clock plus elite spellbinder and all of those things added together are gonna make mono white be pretty good against it. But I don't think that this existing as a card just invalidates the archetype. Not at all. I, I mean that was Thalia is a really good card, and nuance is often lost in Twitter discussions. So I in, in no way intend to suggest that Thalia doesn't 
meaningfully impact a matchup against Epiphany. It's just when people are like, oh, Epiphany's dead because Thalia exists. Are, are you kidding me? Like, what, what do you think this card does exactly? And how much do you think it stays on the battlefield? It forces Epiphany to change its deck a little bit. We already talked. They're incentivized to play Spike Field Hazard anyway. So that's going to be step one. Four copies, easy. I think so. That's where I would start. And that's, you know, making Thalia look a little bit more fragile than it already is with its one toughness body. We already talked about how the two points of first strike damage maybe aren't great against the rest of the format. I I want to have some more play under my belt before I confidently assert that, but I'm pretty sure it's not exactly the sizing you're looking for. So I think Thalia is a great card. I'm happy it's reprinted because it would have been such a lifesaver back in the Growth Spiral era. Yes. Because decks then were so removal light. They were so dependent on playing Growth Spiral. Now, granted, it would have pushed things very much towards play draw dependency. But still, that format was so out of whack that you would have appreciated anything to just disrupt the paradigm. So Thalia would have been great in the Growth Spiral world. It's less so now. Still an important card. It just it's It's not the solution to Epiphany. It's just a card against it. But it's good. I'm glad it's here. Same, same. And it, it might also show up in decks that are not mono white. I hope so. Uh, I am not exactly sure what those decks will look like. Do you have any? I mean, like spirits could work, right? Maybe. You know, like spirits is still going to want like some counter magic and stuff. So maybe Thalia is like a sideboard card, like an extra little uh, bit you, of hammer against you them. You could do a lot with your exploit cards if you build in a certain way with the uh, the exploit spirit. Sure. Name I'm forgetting. No, overcharged that, amalgam. Yeah, that's fair. Um, oh, that, that's that's a zombie. I'm sorry. That is that is not a spirit. Yeah, but I mean, you might still play it anyway. You might still play it. Yeah, it might be a very a very loose amalgamation of spirits. Like green white humans, for example. You know, maybe maybe that's still very similar to mono white. That maybe doesn't really count. But it's like maybe there's like a white black disruption deck or something, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there. This card has shown up in in different spots over. Magic's lifetime is not just mono white aggro. Yep. Uh, next up, we have a braid. One R instant. Choose one. This deals three damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. This is a good main deck answer to a Seekus Chariot. And I mean, it's it's not a great answer, but yeah, it, as as good as an answer can be, right? It it is cheap, which is yes. which is good, but it's not like oh, now I I feel great. I killed your chariot, only left you with two cats or whatever, but. It, it gives you an answer to it, which means that maybe you can burn down the house, the rest of their stuff or whatever. And it's just a, a fine removal spell. Like we're already playing like a lot of two mana, three damage variants anyway. So this is not that bad there. Cheap, flexible, ha- happy to have it around. And I, I like having to consider this versus the other two mana removal. Right. Ex- exactly. And so far in my deck list, like this, this has shown up, you know, like same. Prismari Command was a card that you could play, but it's a little bit clunkier, even though it deals with, you know, more of the chariot and has a little bit more flexibility. But in the term, in terms of like playing vampires or whatever, it's like, I like having access to one or two of these and maybe another on the sideboard. Yep, they're in my werewolf deck and I, I think it's fine. There you go. Last one, Valorous Stance. One dub, instant, choose one. Target creature gains indestructible until end of turn or destroy target creature with toughness four or greater. I think most of the threats in the format uh, don't have four toughness. There, there are some choice things that you really want to kill, like the egg, Goldspan Dragon, Adeline in the Mirror. But when I, I look at the format as a whole, it's like, well, maybe I just want Fateful Absence more than this, especially since, you know, giving your thing indestructible is 
more relevant when you're protecting like a Mantis Rider or a Rabble Master versus, I don't know, protecting whatever the one drop thing is, the dog. Yeah. I think like this is about flexibility, obviously, with any modal spell. That's something you're considering. And it's about like what the format at large is trying to do. Playing those fateful absences against pure epiphany, it's it's backbreaking, quite frankly. You just don't have that kind of wiggle room. But if you're doing something where you're like hedging a little bit against them because you need to be able to answer egg post board, but also you want to be able to keep your key threats on the battlefield through a removal spell. I think this does a little bit better job of just being diverse, especially given format context and what we are focused on at the moment. So I, again, it's just another like diverse spell to consider in your suite. That is a tool to slightly tweak for an expected metagame. And I think that's very, very important for standard to have. That's all I want standard to have. And this set has done an excellent job of just giving us options and, Aside from lacking one drops in certain areas, mono red, vampires, whatever, I think that overall we just have like a bunch of tools now and it feels really good and it feels fun to actually be building decks. And I think week to week, it's going to be super interesting too. I hope so too. The limiting factor over the format is Epiphany, obviously, but there are ways to challenge that card specifically in this set. I also think like the fact that Disruptive Black is getting some good tools is also important. And maybe that's enough where you can push that back into the format. And if if Black re-enters the format, that's the tipping point. That's the domino that has been missing because it will be able to create churn against these aggressive white and green decks. And then you open for some more mid-rangey approaches and everything snowballs from there. But Black being closed out of the present standard format is what is really stagnating things. So it really only takes that one domino to fall. And I am cautiously optimistic that we may be able to churn things a little bit with the printing of this set. I am too. I think it it takes a lot for the black decks to actually be good. Like obviously you can build them to beat up on controller aggro and epiphany is really tough. And then you, you just have to include so many duresses and go blanks and things that are not necessarily good against the rest of the format in order to even be close to 50, 50 with them. So it it is going to be tough, but I, I definitely like the look of this format more than the last one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that goes without saying, kind of, because it small format was always going to have some issues. That's why, like, I still like just taking the shot at the format and making it the format that everyone wanted to play, you know, and talking to people about standard. Just nobody was excited to play standard. It was a thing you had to do, and that's not what you should shoot for after your big rotation, which is always why I was pro- epiphany banning but as we move forward i think it will get less and less of a stranglehold on the format and more of a limitation on the format and that is something i can live with begrudgingly give it a month and we'll see okay okay we'll check back in game Good luck.